Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's pulling back the curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. Oppress. We give sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. Alexa, what is the baddest podcast in the land? Here's Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup, and that coffee is best two to 14 days after it's been roasted. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight up facts. No fake news. I'm Jules. I'm Press. We give a sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. On this episode, we pull back the curtain on the 51 unsolved murders of Chicago women and much, much more. Press was popping, baby. Man, I can't call it as your world, Jules. What's the good word, fam? Man, I'm still winning, man. I'm chilling, man. Over there like winning, you know. huh? Is your NCAA bracket going to win? Oh, hell no. Hell no. <laughs> I already lost, man. <laughs> now you're still in there, man. But I think when I took a look at it yesterday, it looked like uh, it looked like your brother was doing pretty well. Oh, <laughs> okay, good, good. Hey, man, you know what? Big P, he always been, he been kind of smart with the sports and stuff, man. He be coming off like, he don't know what he's talking about or or he hasn't done practice before, but I think he's a little hustler, man, really. That is a hustler. That's the, it's, it's, when anybody starts off something by saying, oh, man, I don't really know too much about that, but we at work, I sign up, don't ever mess with them. And that's your brother. He a hustler, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, 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 me, I don't have time to watch TV and stuff like that, this and that. So I'm not really into it. I put my little thing together. I already, there were some big upsets and stuff, but hey, you know what? It is what it is. But at least Illinois is still up in it. So I'm, I'm happy right. with that. And I'll tell you one thing, Jules. In this pandemic season, it's going to be a lot more upsets. Just watch. So I think it's still too early for us to know whose bracket is really doing well. But I would say mm-hmm. if your Final Four teams are intact, I think you're okay. Now, if you lost Ohio State as a Final Four team yesterday, all right, I can see maybe saying, all right, man, that, that got to yeah. hurt. Yeah. 
But yeah, I'm excited, man, about March Madness, bro. I really am. Because we didn't get it last year. Well, I, I, right, yeah. I bet you are, man. You got a nice little healthy bed over there with A-Dub now. Yeah, you heard that one, right? Yeah, man. I got a lot on the line, man. It, you know what is funny about that, Jules? People heard that bet. Now, I got all kind of people that's texting me talking about some, man, what's up with our side wager? I'm like, everybody want to bet me now. <laughs> hey, everybody want to come at you when you're on top now. Man, they better not miss, though. Well, I tell them a couple episodes ago, when you come for the king, you better not miss. A-Dub, man, he don't know. He he barking up the wrong tree, fam. He don't want this. <laughs> well, y'all fool, man. Y'all do your thing over there on that DeBear's uh, <laughs> Essential Podcast, man. That thing is off the chain, man. Y'all having fun over there. Well, yeah, but you know how we do, man. It's the same thing we do over here, pulling back the curtain, man. Everything we do is real and authentic. And and, and I appreciate you, man, for even, like, supporting that venture, man. And A-Dub's the same way with supporting us here, over here on PBTC. Everything else going all right, though? Yes, sir. Uh, a quick story. Yeah. I took Steve. You know, oh, boy. You know my old brother, Steve. I Monster. took him. He wanted to buy a car. He oh, wow. I got to hear this story. Okay. <laughs> so he saved up about, he got about 10 grand he saved up. Okay. You know, he want to buy something pre-owned, you know, something he can just pay, no note or anything like that. Okay. So he had me take him up to a car dealership. I ain't going to give no names because we had a horrible experience, but... <laughs> Uh-oh. Can I ask a question? You don't have to get a name okay. of the dealer itself. Well, what side of town? Okay. Southside, over here by, over here by me. <laughs> oh, so, goodness uh, gracious. I already know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we he, he saw one online. You know, he looked on the website and stuff, and he saw he saw one that's listed for 8000 8, pre-owned, never been in the accident, kind of a little higher miles, but still, he just needs something to go back to forth from work and stuff like that. So we get there. The guy set us down. You know, I'm like, hey, listen, you know, I have to work. So, you know, I'm just running up there and let's, you know, let's do this and get on out. So we sit down. First, he was like, so what can you do? Like far as what can you put down or how what you looking for in this thing? And, and, you know, Steve, he's getting there because he was like, he said, no, I want to check out this car. It was like a, a GMC Acadia. Okay. What year? 2010. My question is, is what was wrong with it? Because uh, I got an Acadia. That is a good ass price for an Acadia. You know what? It might have been an accident. Who knows? Because I'm thinking about that, bro. Yeah. Because yeah, mine was 52. And he said he, he was about to get that for 8400 Yeah. Damn. Yo, wow. Okay. Okay. But yeah, because they are nice cars. I'm looking at the picture on the on the website and stuff. I said, man, this is nice. And you know, Steve, a big dude. Right. Yeah, so, he need that. He need that. So, you know, so the guy's like, yeah, you know, okay. You know, going over the, the numbers, like, yeah, titles and all. And I'm looking like, like, damn, man, we just want to see the car. And Can I ask you a quick question? Uh-huh. All right. So when, when Steve saw the car online and he hit them up, did he say, hey, you know what? I want to schedule this appointment. I want to yeah. take it for a test drive. So he did all that. Yeah, he did all that. <laughs> so we're sitting there. That's why we're looking at each other like, man, what's the problem? So he said, okay, I'll be back. <laughs> okay. He leave for like 10, 15 minutes. And we're like, what the hell's going on? He come back and he was like, so I told Steve, I said, listen, man, ask this, ask this dude, is the car here? Right. Maybe in here. Right. So he came back. Dude said the car was here. Like, okay. He says going it's coming around. I was okay. Good. Good. Because I thought he was just jerking us around. Like, man, what the? Because that's usually what man, they he, do. Yeah. Yeah. So he was like, okay. All right, come outside. We come outside. Why this dude showed us a 2003 Honda Santa Fe? Are you kidding me? Yeah, rusted in the back. <laughs> and I'm looking at Steve. I'm looking at dude. Like, what in the world is this? 
you know, Steve upset. So I'm like, all right, okay, hold on. And I you got to be, you got to be the yeah. one that's talking. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I said, I said, bro, what? I said, what's up with the car? What did uh, the Acadia? He said, yeah, it got to go through certifications and stuff like that. And we're like, huh? Why you got to post it online then? Steve and I, we bought plenty of cars. That's why I know this is bull. So we coming back. We we went back to this to his desk. Steve was like, man, listen, go figure out what's up with this car. Dude came back. We was like, listen, the car ain't here, is it? He said, no, we took it to auction. We was like, dude, all you had to do was say that. We so could have worked with you. You know what all that was? He basically was like, okay, I got him in here. What is something that we have here that's comparable to this car that we can maybe talk him into buying? That's all that was. Mm-hmm. But you gonna bring a bus at Santa Fe? Come on, man! Right. <laughs> we told him. I said if he would if he would have worked with us, we would have did something else, or Steve would did something else. But you know what though? And I and I'll talk to you offline about this. But one thing too, when you go to some of those lots, man, that's how they operate, bro. Them dudes are shady on them lots, man. Tell Steve to go somewhere else, man. Especially if he got ten G's cash like that, he wouldn't go through those experience like that. You know, he just got to go to the right spot. Is he still looking? Right. Yeah, he's still looking. You need to go with him. He does not need to try to go buy a car by himself at all. Because that, that that car dealership no. will probably go on fire or something in his temper. <laughs> yeah, because you know you know Steve, man. You know his, that nickname Monster. It, it's, he get that name for a reason, man. That dude, I had to calm him down a few times, man, because that was just bad business. That's why I wanted to come here and share that story, man, because that business right there was just, just, just terrible. But you know what? The car business in the general, I mean, let's be honest. How many people that are listening to this show have probably a horror story from trying to buy a car? I mean, we all have them from them wasting your time. You could spend, and you tell these people, I got financing. I got this. This is what mm-hmm. I want. And they'll still try to have you in there for a half a day. I'm like, listen, bro. Yeah. I've been at work all week. I'm not trying to spend my whole Saturday afternoon fucking around no. with you trying to buy this car. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. We was in there for about an hour and a half. We just sitting there waiting. Dude, don't want to give you no eye contact. This. I'm like, man, what, what is up with this dude? Yeah, I should have pulled dude aside. I should have pulled him aside a long time ago. Like, look, yep. bro, man, don't jerk us around, man. We grown men, man. We bought plenty of cars, man. Just let us know. You got the car now. If you're not, okay, what else you got? I love how he's like, oh, we're bringing it around right now. I could have, I would have paid <laughs> yeah, so much money to look at Steve's face when that car pulled around. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we walked outside. We're like, what the hell? I mean, an old three. Honda Santa Fe. And Rusted it was rusted. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he said, uh, oh, we got to get certifications. What? Dude, I'm like, what the? Certify- I'm like, certified? What you got to do to it? Right. I knew that was a red flag as soon as you told me that year of an Acadia was going for 8500 bucks. I'm like, what's wrong with it? Yeah, because on the thing, I think said one owner... Okay. And, you know, 100 and I forgot, it was 120, 110, 15,000 miles, something like that. Okay. So I'm thinking, okay, that's pretty decent. Let's check it out. Let's let's listen to it. Check the engine and mm-hmm. driving. Let's see what we're talking about. Because, yeah, yeah, Acadia, I'm like, man, it was nice in the pitch. I'm like, man, this is nice for you, Steve. So, and, and, you know what the thing about it is? Sometimes you got to be careful with those pictures, too. So, hey, uh, Steve, you listening to this? Mm-hmm. Man, you make sure you look, go all the way around that vehicle, bro, when y'all, next time y'all go out. Because them car dealers, they really they really good at taking pictures of a certain angle. And you go look at that car, you're like, wait, this dent wasn't in that picture. <laughs> what happened there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, hey, Perez, you know what? Next time Steve go, hey, I'm going to call you, man. I'm going to come scoop you up, man. We need, Hey, we need you. We're going to take you with us. You already know, man. I'm, I'm the negotiating guru, bro. I don't mess around. 
our next episode, I'm going to tell a car buying story, man. You guys are going to love this one. But let me know, man, if y'all need something on it. I got you. Yes, sir, man. Appreciate you. All right, let's get into some of these mailbag questions, man. So we had some good ones this week. And the first one, Jules, I'm kicking this over to you first because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on coming to America too? Our brother Pierce Smith wanted to know. I'm glad it was on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> damn. All right, let me let me control myself. Okay. Um. <clears throat> well, you know what, Press? I think. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a decent movie. I was a little surprised when Eddie said that it took him four years to complete the script because uh, I was like... I couldn't see okay. four years of work in that damn script. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. So I was like, well, okay. All right. So, you know, of course, it's 30 years after the, orig- the original was Amazing, superb. right? Dude, you had an all-star lineup. That thing there, I know everybody saw that thing. So, yeah, hey, four stars. Come to America too. What I liked about it was all the uh, old characters was on it. It was good seeing John Amos and Jer- hey, um, James Earl Jones, yep. stuff like that. Man, that w- right there was was the reason why I like watching the um, the movie. Yeah, Eddie and Arsino, they was doing their thing again, and and then he had some newcomers, Leslie Jones and, and Tracy Morgan and stuff. I thought the movie was good. I thought it was decent praise. I, I don't know what to say, man. I thought it was decent. Well, I'm gonna say this: Jules is always forever the gentleman on the show because. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting ready to trash this movie. Oh, so, damn. Jules, all I'm going to say is this, man. The okay. original, like you said, funny as hell. The mm-hmm. second one, they could have kept this shit, bro. One thing that I just want to bring up to the audience, <laughs> and I just want you guys to think about this. So is this movie, was it supposed to be 30 years later? So 30 years in the future? Because that was the part I couldn't understand. Because my thing was, if this was 30 years later, why were those still those three dudes in the barbershop still old men? They should have been dead. <laughs> Well, Brad, you put too much into it now. No, uh-uh. <laughs> he said no. no. Uh-uh. If Hakeem's got three damn kids and the one daughter is like knocking and killing and knocking people out and shit, these motherfuckers in that barbershop shouldn't even be there. That barbershop should have been a new barbershop at that point. Brand new barbershop in a gentrified Queens. Next part. There was okay. a lot of cameos in this movie, Jules. But mm-hmm. what were the jokes? I remember like sitting there watching it for the first 40 minutes and I hadn't even laughed at this point because I'm just sitting here watching it. Like, okay, what's getting ready to happen next? Okay, cool. That was a good music uh, ensemble there. Great. But where are the jokes? I ain't laughed at all, right? You talked mm-hmm. about Eddie and Arsenio. They did their thing. I think you were being very kind because when I looked at them, I was like, these cats look old and bloated. And dude, Arsenio's African accent was even worse than in the first movie, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I was going to trash this thing. Damn. And, uh, <laughs> His illegitimate son, they should have left his ass okay. in New York. They should have left oh, him in New damn. York. <laughs> and with Leslie Jones. My God. That whole thing, they could have kept that storyline. Because you, you said that Eddie said it took them four years to put this script together. I'm like, y'all should have took yep. another four years. And you know, it's it's Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I'm sorry. But you know what? If they'd have waited four years for the movie to come out, them guys in that barbershop would still been alive, though. I'll tell you that much. According oh, to them. Damn. Like I said, I'm just trying to be nice to it. I mean, it's Eddie Murphy. I love Eddie Murphy. I do too. Like that. I'm just... It was just paying for the watch, bro. <laughs> this is a money grab. I'm sorry. It was a money grab. Think about that's, it. That's why I said it's glass on Amazon. 
Because mm-hmm. I've been pissed. I haven't went to the theater. I ain't going to lie now. And that's why I said I'm glad it's on Amazon. Can you imagine that paying them theater prices to watch that shit? Mm-mm. I'd have been sitting there fucking eating my Twizzler mad as hell. Like, man, I fucking paid $7 for these Twizzlers for this shit. Uh-uh. No, sir. No, sir. Now, let me ask you something, Prince. Anything you, you liked about the movie? Let me think. Damn. I'm thinking. Hold on. I'm thinking. <laughs> what about Randy Watson, man? What about Randy Watson? Come on now. Well, I think he would have been dope <laughs> if they would have done the same thing they did in the first one while nobody was really rocking with him. Because in this one, everybody was okay. rocking with him. If there was one thing that I liked, I guess I'll go with the what you said. I think I did like that the original cast, for the most part, came back. I thought some of the flashbacks to the original movie, I thought the, those aspects were kind of cool when they did the throwbacks. I thought yep. that was cool. I just didn't like the new characters, bro. I didn't like his son. Leslie Jones was annoying. And Tracy Morgan, he's funny, but he was kind of doing a little too much for me. So I don't know, man. It was just for me, they tried to force these new characters in, and I thought it wasn't enough for Eddie and Arsenio because I thought with Coming to America, the original, it was mostly Eddie doing what Eddie does. And I thought in this one, it was a little bit more or less Eddie because they were trying to let these other people get their shine in, which is fine. But I just thought for this movie, just didn't do it justice. All right, I got you. I got also, you. too, you talked about the original cast. Lisa's mm-hmm. sister, where was she at? There ain't nobody talking about that. Where was Patrice? Her and the Sogo uh, King, they loped and they, they left the family. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Man, so they didn't, they didn't get to see any of the, the, the riches of Zamunda. <laughs> no. The end of the first one, he, she was taking his clothes off because it was wet coming yep. in her bedroom. Yeah, but you saw his so face. That's how they hooked up. <laughs> <laughs> he knew what time it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, damn. So, so you see how we, but you see how we laughing about that, those jokes that we just made, audience. That was about coming to America, the original. I got nothing on this coming to America too. I can't even say there was one part there. I was like, damn, Jews, that shit was hilarious. No, check this out. How about how about Wesley Snipes when he was walking in his pimp roll? The walk was cool. I'm not gonna lie. When them dudes was doing the little shake weights and they was they was doing the dance revolution, that was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. That was about it. But his walk, right. Wesley, he was he was walking that thing out. Shout out to Wesley Snipes. <laughs> he had a pimp. He had a mean pimp walk there. Didn't boy. he? He wasn't playing around. So let me ask you this, Jules and, and Pierce. Thank you so much for that question. So when you think back to some yes, of sir. Eddie Murphy's best movies, what what are, what are some of your favorite Eddie Murphy movies? Because for me, Coming to America is probably my favorite Eddie Murphy movie. Coming to America, Harlem Nights, okay, and the first Forty Eight Hours. Okay, so the first one. Okay, the yeah. first one. Because that 48 hours, too, I'm like, it could have kept them. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say a movie. Don't laugh at me. But I think that this movie here had me rolling, and that's The Golden Child. See, I knew it. Come on, Prince. Man. Come on, Prince. <laughs> that ain't even in my top 20 Eddie Murphy movies. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I heard you get quiet, but I was like, damn. You already knew. Me with The Golden Child. You man. already knew. Uh-uh, uh-uh. But I, I felt you with the other ones, because I agree. That Golden Child is, is a decent movie. I just, I can't rock with it too much. But, dude, the, the only two that you missed out that I, that I thought were awesome were, awesome were uh, Trader Places and uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Oh. Those were the good, first, too. Uh, the first Beverly Hills Cop. Which Beverly Hills? Yeah, yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, 
when we was coming up, I used to watch that thing religiously, man. That was such a good movie. That was Eddie at his finest. The music in that shit, like, was pure 80s. Like, no, I, I, I loved it. So Eddie, when I think of him, it's hard for me to criticize a movie that he's in because he's a GOAT. But, man, uh-huh. I, I just don't want to see it coming to America 3. Let's just end it here. Hope they nah, get well with the money nah. they got. No, nah, we good. We good. <laughs> <laughs> the next mailback question came over from Veronica Adams, and she wanted to know, when you die, what do you want to be remembered for? Veronica, you got a little deep. Damn, Veronica? I don't think about dying like that. You know what I'm saying? Right, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I was like, hmm. Veronica, okay. what's going on in your life right now? You, if you need something, email us because uh, we, we could talk. We, we got right. you. Right, we got you. I always go to the word. And I know somebody in my family is going to be reading that Jules fought the good fight and he finished the race and he kept his faith. I know that's what's going to be said. So me, what I'm going to be remembered for as a loving husband, caring father, obedient son, a great brother, a loyal friend, a hard worker, somebody you can talk to who's dependable. I want to be known as the type of person to not follow anybody else's footprints or, or path or street, but go to a place where there's no street and make one. So maybe that would be probably be the one I, I I want people to to remember when I'm gone. Well said. I mean, because to be honest Thanks, with you, <laughs> no, to be honest with you, man, when, when you think back on the lives of people that that you knew and the things that you mentioned, if anybody could say that about their life at the end of their time, man, and I think that you had a life uh, well lived. You know what I mean? No, man, shout out to you on that one, Veronica. I appreciate this question, but I'm still focusing on living. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I got you. So I'm gonna answer your question. I hear you. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna answer your question though, because you know, because we're gonna be a sport about it. But man, I would just say for me, I want to continue to grow as a person and impact people because okay. there's still so much about me, Jules. I feel like, man, I'm like just the you know clay that's just raw. I'm like, there's still so much with our stories right now that man, we have time to to be whatever we want to be, right? So I guess I'm still looking into it from that standpoint, Veronica, but. I think if anything I would want to be remembered for is being someone that made mistakes but didn't let those mistakes define him, right? And it also mm-hmm. stood for things that were meaningful because there's a lot of people in this world, they have no purpose. They kind of just go for whatever is going on. They accept things as you know what they are and I'm not that, right? And so I would hope that people would, would realize that, man, this cat right here, at the end of the day, man, he kind of, he walked his own walk, you know, didn't follow in what other people were doing and kind of stood in what he thought was right and kind of stood on that. And uh, he valued authentic relationships with really good people. So I think at the end of the day, if that's what people remember me on, I'll be okay with that. Excellent. I, I, I get nothing else, man. That's excellent. But especially for a question like this, it's like, wow, it makes you think, dude. Like, wow, what I want to be remembered for. Yeah, it did make me think. So Veronica, shout out to you because that was like, yeah. it wasn't the normal question where people want to you know, know like all kinds of things about it. It's like, that one went deep. Right, I wonder, right. I wonder what Veronica. Yeah, Veronica. I, I wonder what Veronica does for a living. What is she, what you do? Yeah, ask your questions. Yeah, like Veronica. That. And also hit us back. And what do you want people to remember you when you're gone? Because I would like Ooh, to know. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. Make sure you do that. Make sure you hit us up and let us know. And we'll give our thoughts on it whenever you do. All right, Jules. Last question came up from Troy Kazi, and he wanted to know what team are you picking to win the tourney? So, audience, we joked about our brackets earlier. So, Jules. Who do you got winning this tourney? I got the fighting Illini. Woo! I-L-L. They surprised me. Like I t- said earlier when we was talking, I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of basketball. Hell, I'll, 
By the time I watch TV, it's maybe 12 o'clock at night. I really don't catch nothing unless it's sports center or something like that. They're fighting a lot. Uh, Illinois, they, they, they're doing their thing and stuff, man. They got the player of the year with, with IO. A, IO and stuff. So, man, I, and then just being a part of this, you know, this state and stuff like that. I just root for him and just and see what happens, you know. So I'm betting on my heart. <laughs> that's all. I know that's a, not a smart thing to do, Prez, but in this case, I'm going with my heart, man. I think in this case, I think you'll be good because uh, okay. I, w- I went with them too, but I'm also going with it. Oh, did you? My heart as well. Yep, yep. That's where I go to grad school. I go to I go to U of I. So you know that's the easy choice for me. But to Jules's point, they got the player of the year in I O, and uh, I think they're probably one of the top teams in this tournament. I can't wait to see them advance even further. They had a good game on Friday. They beat the number 16 mm-hmm. seed Drexel. I mean, they made them look like a number 16 seed. Like, that was an easy win for them. But for Troy, I've been a Hoops fan of the Illini, man, since I was a kid. Man, I used to watch, you know, Kendall Gill and the Flying Illini play when I was oh, a shorty. Yeah. Man, dude. Right. And so, for me, man, this goes back to probably about 88 that I've been a fan of, of the Illini. And, uh, one of the best games that I've been to, honestly, in person, was when Illinois played Arizona. This was back in 2005 in the NCAA tournament. And I'm about to go old school on y'all. This was the when D. Brown and Darren Williams played for the Illini. And mm-hmm. they were down by 15 and came back and won. And that Illini team actually made it to the championship game. They lost that year. They did. But, yep. Mm-hmm. You remember that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Coach Bruce Weber, man. Yeah, oh, yeah. Bruce Weber yeah. was a dude. He was a dude. Yeah. Yeah, that was, man, that year, everybody was like Illini fever, man. We were just all just into it, just watching. Man, I ain't never wore that much orange in my life since I wore that year. I still don't wear all that much orange now. I wear the Illini blue now, but back then, I was all about that orange crush. <laughs> okay. As I've gotten older, I don't, I don't think the orange looks as good on me, Jules. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> man, that's what's up, man. Hey, man, that's, hey, that's, good. that's good to hear, man. I was like, I said, like, man, I wonder what prayers pick would be. Yep, it was Alana, and I hope that okay. go, I hope that going with our heart didn't uh didn't fuck us over here. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, we will see, man. It's been it's been a few episodes now, so hey, hey anything's hey, we all got a shot now. So, well, yeah, because listen, Ohio State lost to a number fifteen seed or Roberts. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell happened there? Purdue lost. I'm like, man, Purdue, I was, yep. they lost to a, a thirteen seed. I'm like, man, that's been a lot of upsets, man. My goodness. More to come, though. I guarantee you. More to come, time, right. Yeah, by the time we record, we're probably going to be tripping out on somebody else that got knocked off. Mm-hmm. Just hope so it ain't yeah, Illinois. Interesting. Yeah, right? No, no. <laughs> we want them to come. We want to make it, man. Go all the way to the front for it, then some. So, yes, sir. Yeah. Hey, but audience, we appreciate the questions. Keep them coming. We got more in the pipeline here. You guys are, keep sending them over. And like I said, we apologize for the delays, but we're working through them. We got y'all. <laughs> mm-hmm. We got y'all. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of the episode, Jules, there's a situation that happened in Atlanta this week that I wanted us to touch on briefly before we get into the actual episode here. But we had a a shooting that went on in in Georgia. Before Mm -hmm. we even get into this, man, my my thoughts and prayers, uh, you know, with the families of all the victims and the entire Asian community on what transpired down there. But I wanted to get your thoughts on that situation, man, because to me, I just have a lot of questions and just a lot of thoughts, but I want to kick this over to Jules. Jules is in law enforcement, as you guys all know. I don't know, man. When I saw the news on this whole thing and the circumstances around it, it's just a lot that was there to unpack. I want to get your thoughts, though. It ain't making any sense, right? You look at this and you say, my God, 
this should be domestic terrorism. This should be a mass shooting. Mm-hmm. This doesn't make any sense. Why? One big question is why? Right. What's everybody want? What's the motive? Because we still don't know. Yep. We right. It's still under investigation. You know, of course, the boy's twenty one years old. So what? What the hell? He hasn't scratched the surface yet. So what? What he got to be upset about? Bitch ass. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, okay. It happened. What this happened past Tuesday, and he went to massage parlors. Mm-hmm. Dude went to massage parlors. He killed four people in one massage parlor. Drove what half an hour and killed four more people in two different ones in Atlanta. Yeah, just right went, outside. Then went across the street to another right. one and killed yeah. another person. Right? <laughs> I mean, like brother, man, what? <laughs> so get this dude by the help with uh, there's his family actually. His family actually called in to kind of tell him where he was at and stuff like that. The authorities went, grabbed him. Okay. Talk about motives. Talk about motives. He's talking about, well, hey, listen, he has an addiction. According to what he said, he has an addiction, and he's trying to fight off that addiction by killing these people. I don't know what the hell that got to do with anything, but all right, all this is just BS. He's trying to please Sandy. It's not going to work because, listen here, if you have 21 years old, you're talking about you have an addiction, and your addiction is massage parlors because what? I mean, you need to talk to Robert Crab because I I ain't never been to massage parlor. I don't know what the hell they're doing there. They're talking about happy endings and this and that. All that's all that's play play. So, dude, wh- where are you going off, you know what I'm saying, killing these folks, innocent people? Right. And it's working. What that got to do with your addiction? It's got nothing to do with the addiction, it, man. It, it, right. Mm-hmm. So, bro, you were just on some reckless stuff, just some dumb stuff. I don't know what the case is. I know he just not, it just wasn't no bad day like that one cheap said. Bro. Don't even get me started on that. I'm sitting up I, here like this I know man. You gonna go in. I know you're going to go in, You bro. already know. You already know. That man said he had a really bad day. I'm sitting up here like, bro, I done had some really bad days, especially this week, Jules. I ain't going to shoot up in no damn massage parlors. Right. Fuck right, out of here. All, right. We all had bad days. Right? <laughs> what the? I mean, <laughs> friends. You, you know what a bad day is? You get into it at your kid's soccer practice. You get into it at a game with your with the coach or something. That's having a bad day. Right. Well, he did. Let's call it what it is. Like Jules said, that's domestic terrorism, bro. Also, another point that I want to make. Law enforcement, they had to use the little pit maneuver to get him to stop his car, right? And they got him, right? Took him into custody. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this. The man did mention that, hey, he had an addiction. And he did this because he was trying to, to fight off those addictions. Well, bro, uh-huh. if you got an addiction and you got some sort of issue with these things, just stay the fuck away from them. Like, what are you doing? Also, can we talk about the aspect of things that law enforcement was able to apprehend this guy after he killed eight people and mm-hmm. not a scratch was on him? Mm-hmm. And Jules, you know I've talked about this a ton on this show, but we continue to see it in history where we have people of color that are in situations where it's like, oh, does he have a gun? Or he's walking towards us and we light him up. How is it that this guy was brought in to custody, no issues, and he killed eight people? And we have individuals that are sitting in their car, and they get out the car, and it's a certain way that they get out the car, and they get lit up. See, that's the thing, man. People, they ain't ready for these type of conversations that we have on this show, man, because you all need to understand what's going on here. There is a double standard that happens with these crimes, and this was a hate crime. I don't care how anybody else looks at this. He's going to sit here and try to position it and say that he had an addiction. Well, bro, if you got an addiction, then go seek some help for it. There's places out there that can help you. Yeah, yeah, that's why I was like, nah, that ain't going to work. He's trying to build up a case of insanity case, which is not going to work. No. It's not going to work. Because no. it is a real addiction called sex addiction. Yeah, it's but a thing. But go get some help yeah, for it. Yeah, it's the thing. Yeah, get some help for it. But him at 21, come on. 
Come on, bro. No, no, no. Listen, no, what, 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 what 21 year old don't have a sucks addiction? Get the fuck out of here. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. That's I'm like 20 at 21. All right. All right, bro. <sighs> but you know what, Prince? I know and, a lot and, of and I and I and I hate to even like come for him, but when I saw the mugshot uh-huh. jewels, I said, This is exactly what somebody that would say something like that would look like. I'm sorry, audience, but mm-hmm. I had to go there. Prez, you hit on something when you talk about it as a hate crime because a lot of people have been asking that, that question. And I have to find out the hard way where one thing what looks to people is not exactly what, what, what it is because there's a few few people I locked up where I'm thinking it's one thing, but it doesn't fit all the criteria, so it's, it's something else. So with that hate crime, it had to be known that he did this because of the ethnicity of that person. Listen, I don't write the rules and nothing like that, but I'm just letting you guys know what put myself in Robert's shoes. That's the board name, Robert Long. I put in shoes and I go into these massage parlors and I shoot up none but Asian Americans. And I said, and I'll probably say, die, die, you Asian man. I can't stand you guys. Or there's something written on your media post or about anti-Asian Americans or where the case may be. Then you have charge of hate crime. You have more. So I think they're still trying to investigate and see if there's anything that kind of linked to that for it to be a hate crime, because that's a different charge. So you, if you have that, it's a different charge. It's a higher charge. So uh, no, I mean, it's another charge. It's not higher than murder, but it's definitely a higher charge. And then you have motive, too. So that's the only thing as far as with hate crime and, and, and other type of statues of, of, of uh, crime and stuff like that. Yeah, and I, and I get you, but yeah. when I also look at what's been going on with the Asian American community in the last year with Trump and his rhetoric, mm-hmm. a lot of crimes that have actually happened against them have been definitely very high. It's been like 3,800 mm-hmm. instances in the, in the last year of hate crimes that have happened to that community, and we'll see what happens yeah. with this one, but to me, you know, if it if it quacks, man, then it, it's a damn duck, and so that's the way that I view this oh, situation. Dude. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you. No, I get you. But yeah, you know, I just wanted to explain some some things because people are like, man, why is it not? Why is it not a hate crime? Again, I'm just saying what what it is. I, you know, uh, well, whether it's a hate crime or not, the guy committed right. murder and he killed yeah. eight people, and yeah. you know, so no, it's, I, it's it's a crime against humanity. And also, too, mm-hmm. at work, I think we had a discussion on um, race. I think it might have been Wednesday, and one of our my uh, Asian American coworkers. He spoke up about some of the things that he had to endure growing up as a kid and said that, man, you know, he used to get all these jokes, the name calling and all that kind of shit at his expense. And he said that his reaction to dealing with it was just ignoring what was said. So he said that he just, you know, whatever, whatever you say, that's fine. Right. But then he admitted that even in today's times that he still gets the name calling and people think it's like the jokes when the people are saying stuff around the virus. And he said that he gets that kind of stuff. And he said that, dude, the stuff that he did as a kid to kind of keep that stuff to himself, he said now as an adult, he notices that it comes out negatively. Like he drinks and he does some things that aren't so healthy ways of dealing with, with grief and to dealing with some of the things that he kind of repressed when he was younger. And so what I want to say to people is when this stuff is happening to communities of people, with the Asians, with the African-American community, you have to realize that trauma that people have internalized, that they keep to themselves, at some point that, that trauma is going to come out. And it's going to come out in ways that aren't healthy. And it's going to come out in ways whether it's you're going to do some sort of things that, to harm yourself or people around you. And so that's why I always say on this show that you have a lot of people out of here that are hurting. And when I heard my coworker talking about that kind of stuff, I'm like, damn, that shit really hit me. Because in, in 2021, Jules, we're still dealing with shit like this. And I don't have all the answers for what's mm-hmm. going on right now in this world. 
But I do realize now, more than at any point in life, that this stuff needs to be addressed and ignoring this stuff is not going to help anybody in the long run. Because when you got somebody like that on a company call where there's like 20,000 people in it and he's sharing a story like that, man, that was powerful. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it hit me. Yeah, yeah. That's say You feel for the guy. Your coworker is strong because some people can't handle that. And then you have some mass shootings. You know, people just, people snap or do something else. I always, always brought up, man, just treat people how you want to be treated, man. And that's messed up that, that right here in 2021, and we're still dealing with this more now than ever because we had an administration in there that, that's just inflamed things, and now people just, the country's out, is off balance. Yep. They're yep. trying to just really just off balance. And it's so divided now more than ever, and then people just saying anything, and and, and it's, it's, it's messed up right now. And you need these outlets. You need people to talk to. You can't, like, I agree with what you said, prayer. You can't internalize this stuff. And if there's something going on, you definitely got to talk to somebody. Yeah, because internalizing it, that's that's the danger start because that's when you lash Mm-mm. out. And it, even if it's mm-hmm. not even to the degree that what Jules mentioned where you, you become a mass, whatever. But it could be things that you're doing yeah, in your life yeah, where no. you're... But think about it like this. You could be doing stuff where you're sabotaging your own life, right? Or you could be sabotaging the lives of people that are close to you. Like, you just don't know what that behavior would do when you have this unaddressed trauma that's going on. And so... When he shared that story, I just said, damn, you know, my heart just goes out to this Asian-American community because it seems like right now, man, they're being targeted. And, and like Jules mentioned, I think a lot of this has to do with that previous administration and the way that they mm-hmm. just tore up the balance, as you said. But I want to make just a quick message to any of our Asian community. If you listen to this show, please take time to grieve right now and as a world. We got to keep standing up and speaking out and rallying together and fighting for change for all people. Because as we always say on this show, we're all in this together. We're all the same. And we have to all start striving to be better as people. The way Jules was brought up is the way that I was brought up, man. Treat everybody the way that you want to be treated. You're not better than the next person. Mm -hmm. And for the people that are out here that feel that they're inferior, you're not inferior. There's nothing that separates you. Money doesn't make somebody better than the next person. I always tell that to people too. Your worth isn't what you got in your wallet. Your worth is what's inside you, your heart. That's your worth. And you, people have to remember what they are and who they are. Well said, man. Well said. <laughs> well said. Yeah, and you'll definitely, you'll definitely know your worth when you leave this place. And then a lot of people tell you, tell the, the next person, anybody else, you know what? That press was this, this, and this, and this, and this. So that was an excellent question earlier today. <laughs> yeah, you, it depends on who you ask, because that person may say, man, that prayer was this, 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 and this. You'd be like, damn. Oh, damn. They'd be like, damn, he did all that? Like, man, I thought he was all right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have Jules, be like, that prayer was a jackass. <laughs> yeah. But, man, but you're absolutely right, man. Well said, man. Well said. Well said. No, appreciate that. But, like, man, just, I just want people just to just think about that. We talk about these topics. We're bringing these things up because we want to open up dialogue. We want to basically, even if it ain't about agreeing or disagreeing, but it's really just to start the conversation, right? And I do enjoy that about our listeners, Jules, is because when we have some of these things, people will reach out. Even if they'll say, oh, well, think about it from this aspect. Okay, cool. I like that because now it knows you're listening to what we're saying. And it's also kind of maybe giving you some things that you maybe not had not thought of. So that's why I really love what we do on this show. And I really appreciate all of you guys for listening and rocking with us every week. Mm-hmm. Jules, in the spirit of the episode of what we're doing today, one thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to talk real quickly about 
a murder that happened in London. And it was earlier in the month, on March 3rd. It was uh, Sarah Everett. And I know a lot of people have talked about this story because it went viral. She went missing. It only took a week for her story to go viral, like completely viral. Went into the fact of anytime I've opened up Twitter or Instagram, I saw like stuff with, with her face on it. And basically people were like, hey, where did she go? Right. All right. But meanwhile, on this episode audience that we're going to do today, we got a story where there's been 51 women who have been murdered in Chicago between 2001 and 2018. And it's a story that very few people even know about, let alone discuss. Now, I want you guys to hear that. 51 women from the years of 2001 to 2018. Now, I'm not trying to make a parallel between Sarah's situation because, listen, that was her death was tragic as well. But it only took one week for everybody to know her name and know what was going on with her situation. And then we have these 51 women who have died over a 20-year period, and we don't have that same outrage and shock over their, their deaths, right? And so to me, Jules, I wonder why the world doesn't react with that same type of energy when victims of violent crimes don't look like what Sarah Everett looks like mm-hmm. or when they don't look like what Elizabeth Smart looks like. Because in Sarah's crime, there was a British police officer who's already been charged with her murder. Okay. So it just makes me wonder when I see these type of situations that go on. So regarding the subject of today's show, the deaths of these 51 women have mostly gone on unreported by the mainstream media. And the majority of the murder victims were black women. Mm-hmm. The oldest being 58 and the youngest being 18. And while that body count multiplied, few people seemed to care. No public emergency alarms went off, nothing, right? And before we like really get into this episode, the reason why I wanted to do this show, audience, this week was this is a very personal matter for me. One of my school classmates and one of my really good friends, Jamar, his cousin, Tayanda, she was beaten, murdered, and burned to death by her boyfriend in Inglewood back in 2018 in July here in Chicago. Oh, wow. When I hear this story about what happened to these 51 women and how they were mostly discarded, I think about Tayanda's last moments in this world and how that was just like a horrible way to go and how basically her life to the individual that killed her just meant nothing to him that he did what he did to her and just like left her there to, to die. So when you look at situations like this to happen in this world, we have to stop being so desensitized and just look at it like, oh, okay, well, another person died. Mm-hmm. We have to, as a people, not be that way because these people matter to somebody. These people have families. They have our friends. They have children. Like in the case of Tianda, she was a mother of three. So she leaves behind three babies. They now don't have their mom. She was 38 years old when she was murdered. In Tayanda's case, there was justice for her because the, the person that killed her was her boyfriend and he was found locked up. The rest was history. But for these 51 women that we're going to talk about here on today's show, largely justice has not been served for them. A majority of these bodies were dumped in abandoned buildings, mm-hmm. alleyways, alongside of highways, bro dismembered, discarded in the trash cans, garbage bags. It really, really hits me because why is it that the lives of these women don't really matter in the grand scheme of things? Is it because they're Black? Was it because these women were poor? Was it because they're from the other side of the tracks? And that's a term that that Jules and I used to use when we were coming up. 
But why are they society's disposables? Why have these cases gone neglected? When Jules and I was doing research for this episode, the thing that, that hit me was there's so much more to these women's lives than the moment that they were killed. I don't give a damn about these past transgressions because in some of the, the situations, the women may have been sex workers. Some of them may have been drug addicts, right? But who cares? Let's do it. At, right. at the end of the day, they were human. Even when we were doing research for this episode, I did come to find out that not all of them were prostitutes or drug addicts or whatever the case may be. Sure. But guess what? That still doesn't matter. I don't like the way that these situations were covered by the news because they would mischaracterize these women as being something that they weren't. Because what does that matter? So if in their case, if you guys didn't say, oh, well, they were sex workers or they were drug addicts, does that mean that their lives didn't matter? Does that mean that they were somehow just like trash? When I look at this, Jules, it, to me, it just feels like their lives kind of were just treated as just another statistic. I just don't like how when you read stories about this, when you really dig into this story and this situation, these women have just mostly gone forgotten. And so I hope that this episode today will just help to like kind of humanize the story around these women beyond being sex workers, drug addicts, right? The labels that the media kind of put on them, you know? And I don't want to make this story particularly all about race, but at the end of the day, it's kind of hard to ignore the obvious. We also know too in the city of Chicago that we deal with a lot of murders, right? And a lot of the murders aren't clear through arrest. And in Tayanda's situation with her murder, we were fortunate that we had justice. But there are a lot of families out here, including the women in this case, that a majority of them, families, are still coping with the loss. It's hard to ever get closure when a wound is just open and just like just left there and just lingering because you don't know. And I would never know what that type of feeling is. And I, I would not want to ever know what that feels like to not only just deal with a loss, but deal with a tragic loss. That's tough. When this situation came across our attention, I was just really, really shocked to see the absence of any sort of public outcry over these women's cases. Because I'm about to say some real controversial shit and I don't really care. But okay. if 51 dogs were slaughtered across Chicago, Mm -hmm. This city will be up in arms about that shit. Yeah, Peter will come get you. But why not over the murder and desecration of these women? Think about this, Jules, and I'm going to mm -hmm. let you get in here. Mm -hmm. But I know for a fact, I know a lot of people that I know that are in, in the media, right? Especially here in Chicago. And they'll tell me a lot of times that there's a lack of diversity inside these newsrooms. And so that makes me wonder when I talk to them and I say, well, how come this case isn't something that people are talking about? And they'll just say, hey, you know what? When you have that lack of diversity, then what do you think is going to air? Because they're not going to talk about certain stories and certain things because it doesn't fit a narrative that they're trying to paint. So then what happens is there's a lack of parity in the coverage of our communities. I just want people to realize that these women <laughs> don't get to see their mothers, their sisters, their aunts, their daughters, et cetera. And so when we see stories like this to happen, these stories should feel personal to you. Because, I mean, these are the people that we should be out here protecting, right? In essence. Yes, sir. And so it should just be personal to all of us. And so my whole thing is this, and, and, and I've said this many times, but there's a lazy narrative that happens in journalism. And that narrative is that Black people are mostly the perpetrators of crime, but never the victim, right? And we've seen in a lot of situations when we are portrayed as victims, somehow the media and some people 
will try to say that we might have had it coming. Look at Breonna Taylor. Look at George Floyd. Look at Casey Goodson. These are just a few situations that just come to mind. And I really wish that the media would do a better job of covering our stories. And for people that are listening to this show, we got to do more than shake our heads when we hear these type of stories and say, oh, man, that's so sad. Because then what happens after that, Jules? That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. I mean, they go back, they take a sip of their drink, they turn on the Netflix, and they go on with their life. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's horrible because that just shows you as a society that we've all become way too numb and too accepting of these situations as a whole to just say, oh, well, they're going to just keep happening. Isn't that somebody's job or goal to stop this shit from happening in the beginning? So that's kind of how I wanted to do this episode because I'm like, why is it that justice was not served for these 51 women? Why is it that this story isn't told more? And why is this not something that should be one of the top cases that's being worked? I just don't really understand what's going on here. And one quick story that I want to say, but I'm just like really really passionate about mm-hmm. this, this subject matter. But when we were coming up in high school, and Jules talks about how he has family that, that lived in Cabrera Green. This was a story, and Jules, you never even knew this about me, man. This story, though, was our senior year of high school. And it stuck with me so much that when we were in high school, I wrote letters and I reached out to the family. And this was the girl that was known as Girl X. She was a nine-year-old kid that was raped and choked, doused and forced to drink roach repellent. Right, right. And she was left to die in a stairwell of these projects, Cabrera Green projects. Now, I remember that. I remember that. Yep. Now, she, just like these other 51 women and from this episode, was pretty much disposed of like trash. But the girl survived. She was left blinded, brain damaged, and she was partially paralyzed. During that time, she was known to the world as Girl X. But I want to let the world know her name is Shatoya Curry. And she currently lives in an assist- assisted living facility. At that time, I was 17, writing letters, whatever, not expecting anything back. But I actually got a letter back from the family when I was in college, right? This story to me was something that I held on to for a very long time because that's a nine-year-old kid. That is a, a nine-year-old who sh- her life, somebody should have been protecting her. No one should be sitting here thinking about doing that type of unspeakable act to anybody, but let alone a nine-year-old kid. Her case, justice was actually served because her perpetrator received an 120-year uh, sentence in jail. But, Jules and our audience, when you think of the story of Girl X that I just told, do you think that her life is ever going to be the same? No. And that's the thing that I want people to think about when we, we have these situations, that we have to do better. We have to protect people. If you see something that looks out of line or looks a little bit suspicious or suspect, step up. Do something. We gotta, we gotta do more. We gotta do better. Press, you man, you afford a lot, brother. Where do, where do we begin on this one? Because, so the main question is, how come black people's lives doesn't matter? It's all the above, media, law enforcement, community. We have to play a part here. I can't help but to hear when you said these women here. We did our research, and these women here that were left in abandoned buildings and lots and alleyways and they were set on fire in garbage cans through our beautiful black women. And why do we, why do have to be this thing that's put on them? Well, they were sex workers or they had addiction. What, what, what matter? What, what does it matter? But it matters because it's black women. It's black people. You know, all this, it's, it's horrible. It was upsetting. And it's really sad. And these, these women shouldn't 
have to go on very horrible death. It's, it's, it's not fair. It's not fair at all. Mm-mm. And you are right. We all have to do better for this to be gone on Saul 51, 51 plus, you know, from 01 to, uh, to 18. It's how does this, that, how does that happen? Right. And one thing too, Jules, something that I did. So when this story was mm-hmm. shared with me a month ago, and when mm-hmm. you and I basically sat down and I said, hey, I think this is something that we we need to, to look into. And so we did our research. And one thing that I started to do, and this is something that I've been doing just for many various causes uh, over the last couple of years, is I began to send emails and making calls to law enforcement, to community leaders, to politicians. All I was asking for was transparency about this case, the status of it, uh-huh. even asking, hey, can we get routine briefings with the community and the victims' families? Like, this is just minor things here that you could be doing to give people some sort of feeling that, hey, this matters. This, this, this is something that we care about. You know how many responses that I received to, to that outreach to the voicemails that I left? Probably none. That is actually correct. <laughs> probably, I mean, probably none. I mean, not so laughing. You know, you know it's not funny like that, but. So, but you know what? All that means now is I'm going to have to double up my efforts. Because these crimes, they need to be taken seriously in our communities. They need to treat these crimes the same way that they treat crimes that happen on the north side, in the suburbs. Mm. Because I'm going to tell you one thing. If there was 51 white women that had been murdered at any period of time, I guarantee this should be all national news. That's why I say because it's black women. And then when they put that type on there where they're prostitutes or they have an addiction, then you know what? Okay, well... It is what it is. Then you didn't humanize these people, these women. No. It's the problem. No. The community and the police didn't humanize these women who wanted, who needed justice for, the, their, for their families. And that's the problem that we got going on to the day. We have these senseless killings and nobody's saying nothing. And if nobody's saying anything, if the police can't do their jobs to solve these things, then we have another, another senseless killing and nothing's being solved. There's no justice. It's messed up, where, it's messed up what's going on. And these 51 women shouldn't have died like that with nobody to say anything because it's, it's, it, you have a, a plethora of reasons. They're prostitutes just talking about what they label them. But they, they're women, but they, they, they work in and stuff like that, doing what they're doing. I mean, I'm not knocking anybody. I can't throw any stones. None of us so, should. Yeah. So, of course, I've seen plenty of them. I know where they're at and stuff like that. I, hell, I even talked to a few. Not in that way, people. Not in that way. I just talked to just just talking to community because let's be honest, they know a lot more than I know that's going on in the streets. That's right. You want to have their ear. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, but the problem is you don't know their names. A lot of them are homeless or they stay in addresses where you don't know about their runaways and stuff like that. So sometimes it's kind of hard to solve those cases because it's, it's, you not, you don't have a lot to work with. But yeah. that's why it's important for its community and law enforcement have to work together. I've been preaching this thing for the longest. We can't well, be separated. Well, so one thing, though, that came up in this story, and, and Jules, very, very strong points there, and I definitely uh, agree with the, the sentiment that the law enforcement and the community does need to work together. And also, there's something that we need to do to bridge the, the gap, because that gap widens every day between those two sides. But mm-hmm. one thing that I wanted to say was, in this case, I was really thankful for uh, Thomas Hargrove because he created what he called the Murder Accountability Project. Right, right. He's a retired investigative journalist. 
he felt that something was suspicious in how he analyzed Chicago homicide data. And this was back in, I think it might've been like 2014. But anyway, what he right, noticed right, was right, that right. there were some patterns among a cluster of 51 unsolved female homicides. And these are the homicides that we're talking about here on the show. And obviously we talked about the fact that most of the victims had been labeled as sex workers or drug users, whatever the case may mm-hmm. be. But mm-hmm. the thing with these crimes that I want our audience to think about is that 93% of them occurred outdoors in abandoned buildings, right? And let's think about the areas where these murders took place. The South, the West side, right? And in every single case, the cause of death was either asphyxiation or strangulation. Right. The reason why I really appreciate Hargrove is because he developed like an algorithm. He used this data to flag any sort of potential where he thought something could be maybe a serial killing type of scenario, right? Now, when he noticed this this cluster was going on in Chicago, he founded this murder accountability project, and then he presented the data to the Chicago police. I think this might have been at one of the conferences that you guys do or something along those lines, right? But this was back in 2017 when he presented that data. That's finally when the media decided to, oh, this is something we probably want to pay attention to, right? So it started to get some coverage here in Chicago, the Tribune, CBS Chicago, so forth, right? Right, right. Now, Jules mentioned the fact of, you know, the police and their involvement with this situation. Now, the one thing that happened as a result of this murder accountability project was the FBI and the Chicago Police Department formed an investigative task force. And this was in 2019. And so through this task force, that's what they were looking at to kind of see if they can unearth any information on this crime. But my whole thing is when I look at this is, well, why did it take for this murder accountability project person, an outsider? Why did it take for them to present data for you guys to do what you could have done on your own internally? And that is another problem that I have with this because I say this is 20 years, damn near, that it took for something to come from this. Does the detectives, in the, and this is a question that I don't know, if Jules, how much you could get on, give on this, but what are they doing with their data internally? How come they don't have someone like a Thomas Hargrove that's analyzing data and looking for different patterns and right. data that so they can police? Yeah, yeah. Right, so MOs, yeah. Man, Press, that, that's a million-dollar question because you asked the question on why does it take so six so long, 20 years in the making here, for a task force to be, mm-hmm. to be, to be assembled? To, to look into these killings. Because like anything else, people who are family victims of these people who were, were murdered are speaking out. And you got other people, journalism are speaking mm-hmm. out and stuff mm-hmm. like Want to know, hey, with accountability on what, what's going on with these murders. Because it, mm-hmm. it kind of dropped off in 2014 and started picking up, increasing in, from 17 and beyond. So it's like, okay, what's, what's going on? And I'm glad that the map is, is, is on to this because they had a success in Gary, Indiana. Yes, they did. Where they had they, they had a, a they opened up a homicide investigation back in in 2010, I believe, and he's finding his at the algorithm. He was able to ID, I think, about 15, I think, about 15 unsolved strangulations in Gary. Yep, a combination in 2014 with with an arrest of one person who confessed of killing these women for decades. So it works. So it works, and I'm glad that he's on board and stuff. And and at the time, Eddie Johnson had launched this this task force with the FBI, along with MAP, to get some closures. And so what that entails is 
you have to go back and open up all these investigations to see if you can get new evidence, any DNAs to kind of kind of link things to get get some clues on on solving these things and who actually did these these murders. Yeah. But for the the question for why did it take so long? Because hey, you know what? I'm like you, Prez. I don't want to put race in everything, but it just didn't matter at the time. And I'm hope I'm wrong. You know what I'm I saying? Hope, I, I hope I hope you're wrong hate, too, but I don't think that you are. Right, right. It, you know, and, and I hate to sound like that, but the facts remain is you have women out here. You like you said, you're infected. Your 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 best friend there, a family member died horribly over here where we mm-hmm. stay at. Well, we stay brutally. You know, you're yeah. passionate, but yeah, brutally. And it's our our beautiful women here, and, and and you know what? And as men, we should be ashamed of ourselves because we need to be out here be the protectors of these communities. Mm, talk to them. We should be ashamed, man, because this is messed up. No, you I hate do. to go off key here, but ain't no key. But yeah, but no, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad that we get a. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad we got this task force to to bring some some justice for these people here. But and see, the thing about it is, the task force that's just a start. But we need to do right. more, and that's why I'm going to keep making these damn phone calls because yeah, that's cute. But where the where the press briefings? Where's information? What what's the communication that's going to the families? Because right now, mm-hmm. we know how DNA works. You're talking about cases that are cold as cold can be, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and from what I remember from doing the research, I think they only collected like 18 pieces of DNA from the 50 unsolved homicides. You know, so they only had okay. like 18 samples. So that's kind of unusual if you think about that, you know, for any of our, you know, CSI people out there. Now, if you have a, a crime that's like a strangulation or an asphyxiation, mm-hmm. you would think that there would be some sort of other type of DNA that was left behind. So what does that say? So uh, I know one case in particular, there's some, you, you know, you have defensive defensive marks where you get skin underneath the nails from the yep. offender. Yep. Now, some are, some I've read that the uh, the DNA, they couldn't because the body was so decomposed. Right, that's or one aspect. If there was bur- or, they, or it was burned where they couldn't collect anything. Mm-hmm. So good point there, Jules. So now I want our audience to think about that, right? So if you have these type of murders, to me, it's pretty suggestive that the killer or killers were killer, pretty intelligent. Mm-hmm. And they were aware enough not to leave any DNA behind. So I just want people to think about that for our CSI people out there, you know, because that's that's the big thing. That's how a lot of these crimes get solved is the right. DNA that people leave behind. Right, and then at, at and, and unfortunately, back at that time, it wasn't a lot of camera around like it is now. Now you get ring cameras everywhere. Yeah, for sure. You know what I'm saying? Surveillance cameras off buildings and property and stuff like that. So at, at that time, it wasn't it wasn't prevalent like it is now. So yeah, so you 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 work with you work with little, but and then also putting this stuff back out there. I know somebody was out there somewhere in some of these crimes. Somebody was out there and saw what happened and just need to come forward. You know, sometimes you get a break like that. There's a tip line and somebody call it and say, hey, listen, I was there. You know, we need that. Yeah. But also, too, I think that when we're talking about the CPD detectives and the FBI, I would mm-hmm. want to know what makes up this task force. How many people do you have working this 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 case? They need to be following up on old leads, re-interviewing witnesses, right, right. suspects, right? Mm-hmm. Because there were 21 pieces of DNA that came back, right? And that's 21 different male profiles. So where are right. these people at? Get question, those people right. in for questioning. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, to be determined. I will, you know, I will say because this is is not going to be. We don't want this expedient. We don't want it quick. We want it thorough and fair and stuff. And and 
you know, to bring justice and, and get what what happened because it's that's scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 51 plus women. Yep. Come on now. And then you're talking about it could be a possible uh possible serial killer or killers that was on mm-hmm. the loose and it didn't and get that, published, it didn't get my, notarized. And that's my point. How does that not even get brought up? Like right. there could be a, a legit could be a serial killer that's among us. And we're not, and and we and, and it takes podcasts like pulling back the curtain to talk about it. It takes an individual right. Thomas Hargrove to come up with this algorithm to get people to even care enough to talk about it. Come on now, <laughs> what are we doing? Like I didn't even Ooh. know anything about this situation until a couple months ago, and that's a problem. Man, Press, when that, when when you brought this up to me, man, I was thinking about remember the it was a, there was a group. They used to stand out on corners to protect the uh, angels. I forgot. But it was a group of guys. They used to wear red jackets okay. and used to stand out on the corners and kind of like be like a uh, like a safety guard, like a like a security for the for the communities. Because I kind of remember that some was some was going on and then they kind of Oh, pro- I know pro- you're talking about you talking about the, uh, the guardian angels. The guardian angels, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Right, right. I remember when when doing research and stuff like that, like, man, I remember, can't remember this, man, because, you know, because, right, it was in the West and South Side. Yep. Black communities and stuff like that. And then I remember the Guardian Angels used to stand out. You, they used to be big back in the days. Now they, you you know. Yeah, they used to make them. citizens arrest and stuff. Right. Dudes, yeah. yeah, they were safety patrol. I remember them dudes. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. They, they, had, uh, they had Guardian Angels, like, in all type of uh, states in, in the country. The thing here, though, with with this story that I want our audience, when you're listening to this, is just Mm -hmm. to think on some of the topics that we're talking about. So we're talking about a lot of different things here. We're talking about accountability. We're talking about just basic care for human life. We're talking about the fact of why there's the disparity that goes on right now. So if you think that we're wrong about the race aspect of things, then think to yourself, then why is it that there's that disparity? Why aren't these crimes being treated in the same viewpoint as some of the other crimes that are treated, right? Mm -hmm. And then also understand that if CPD needs to add more homicide detectives, then they need to do so. Mm -hmm. If they need to train these detectives differently to be able to solve these type of cases, then we need to do that. If they need to bolster their cold case divisions, then let's do so. Because I'm going to be honest with you, the budget for the police department is about $1.6 billion. So I think there's more than enough money for them to be getting some of these departments beefed up. And I think that there should be special focus on this case specifically because these families, they need some sort of justice, man. This is not right they do. That, you, that you have people that were killed 20 years ago and there's no leads. There's nothing. There's only been one case, Jules, where someone one was case, actually brought yeah. to justice. And that was Diamond yeah. Turner, right? Diamond Turner. January last year, matter of fact. You know, they was able to, uh, you know, convict this uh, this man, Arthur Hitler, for, okay. for killing. Yeah, for killing. They ended up getting all DNA evidence. That's what we've been talking about, these DNA. Mm-hmm. They was able to get, they was able to link the murder of Diamond Turner's murder with this brother here. Not even a brother, a gutless coward. Off of DNA. Off of that DNA. So, man, she was reported missing by her family. Two days later. Unfortunately, they found that you know she's been brutally murdered and stuff behind this brother, this this guy's uh, apartment building. Isn't that something? So I want our eyes to think about this. So you beat and killed this woman, and then you dump her body behind your crib. 
Yeah. In the like, in the garbage. Trash. Man. Like tr- treated like trash. And I think the garbage collectors were the ones that found their body. Talking about that just, you know, it, it pisses you off, man, because <laughs> God. But you know what? Listen, all right, they got this dude here, and they was able to connect two more murders on him. It's like, dude, how now I ain't gonna lie, people. I, we ain't on here trying to scare people, but sometimes I come across people in the streets and run their background, and they do what? They get murdered in their background. Like, God damn. Hey, you out here chilling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, okay, all right. You know, I'm, so at least we know for sure we get one, possibly more, that's connected to this, this crime here. So the one thing that they did say they did run his DNA against uh, some of the DNA samples that they had, and he didn't come back a match for these 51 women cases, but he was uh, a oh, match okay. for Diamond Turner's case. For Diamond? Okay. For Diamond. So the, he came back as possible case for a guy that, it, that ended up being murdered. So, yeah, this guy right mm-hmm. here, he, he's, he's a scumbag. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing yeah, that dude. Jules brought up was the fact that People in the community do need to speak up and, and let people know if they're seeing something. One of the things that really helped out with solving this case with Diamond Turner was a witness said that they remembered seeing Hilliard cleaning up bloodstains. Right. And they also saw that he disposed of a mattress. So stuff mm-hmm. like that, when you give information out like that, it helps. And so any sort of information like that, it just kind of shows, well, first of all, why are you getting rid of a mattress? Now we have found this body mm-hmm. behind your crib. You know, so at that point, it seemed like, hey, it was like an open and shut case. But honestly, audience, when we did the research on this thing, he didn't get locked up for another three years. Right. So he right. killed her in 2017. He didn't mm-hmm. get arrested until 2020. Right. Because that DNA, the forensics team, you're right, Prez, about they have the budget. We need more forensics because, unfortunately, there's a lot of murders and stuff that is going on. And you need forensics. You need them to do their DNA to run this. But that stuff is not, it's not like you watch CSI and, and you run it and then it's come back right then and there. Right. It don't work that way. It takes time, unfortunately. But we need to, it's 2021. We need to kind of create some stuff to, hey, man, we need kind of kind of expedite this, this, this thing here so we know who's out here committing murders and need to get this dude, off, him or her, off the street quick. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. And, and, and you know what? Thanks for bringing up that point there, because when you saw that three-year disparity, one of the things that I had mm-hmm. saw in that case was, at the time, the interim uh, police superintendent, Charlie Beck, that was the guy that came from Cali. Oh, C- yeah, CB. He said, well, as soon as the DNA came back, the warrant was served. But that's not correct, because what Jules is telling you guys is what actually happened. And, and they say that the officials in Illinois said that the lab results for Turner's murder were delayed. And so mm-hmm. the thing about it is that I think that that's also another opportunity for our forensics, our detectives, all of this stuff. The budgets, if they need to allocate money more effectively, then they need to do so, do so because you don't need people like Hilliard on the streets when he's committing crimes no. like this just walking around because we got delays mm-hmm. in the labs. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So when you looked at this situation, Jules, what do you think was going on here? You know, as as far as a, as a possible serial killer, like what what are your thoughts here? Because I know the police they said there's zero evidence of a serial killer. I know that they've kind of gone through and combed through a lot of information. But what are your thoughts as you kind of look through this? So as I look through it, you have a lot of the mo's match. 
where a lot of these women were died by strangulation. They was either in abandoned buildings, alleys, so places that are secluded, where there's not a lot of light, there's not a lot of people mm-hmm. around, stuff like that. Same memo. Could this be a serial killer? Could be. Me, personally, I would say there's a lot of copycats. Mm-hmm. You might have one person who done a few, probably hang with the people here. I mean, it's not telling. It's not, you know, it's, it's inconclusive right now because of the uh, uh, lack of uh, evidence that we have as far as the DNAs from, for, for, uh, for other people. Man, Prez, I want to say it could be both. It could be there was a serial killer, but also some, some women were murdered and strangled by either boyfriends or people they just picked up because of their, uh, what they was doing. And it's just messed up. It's tough, right? It's, it's tough for me to pinpoint and say, but it could be, me personally, it could be both. So one of the things that I like was looking through when we did the research was there was some information that some of the witnesses gave. And from what that information loosely kind of pointed to is that there could be two or three active serial killers. So mm-hmm. one of the points that Jules brought up is Maybe it's not one single person. Maybe it's a copycat person, right, that's doing mm-hmm. uh, a version of the crime, right? But when I see that the cause of death is the same, right. it makes me wonder, okay, well, hmm, that's a similar type of crime. They're all taking place for the most part outdoors or in type of private type of areas, right? So it just makes you wonder. Also, these type of crimes would be the MO for a serial killer because you got to think about it. If these individuals, if some of them are sex workers or if some of them are drug addicts, right, or they live like lifestyles mm-hmm. or maybe they're not close with the family, they're not checking in with family. Some cases, right. some people might not even know if the victim is around or if they've deceased because they may not have talked to the person in a little bit. So it's kind of hard to pinpoint when the last time one of their family members saw them last or even where they were leading up to them being murdered. Right. Now, one point that Jules brought up that I thought was important, because this is something that I kind of thought in this case, is there's a distrust for law enforcement. That's not a secret for anyone that's listening to this show. Jules talks about it as well. But then I also have to wonder, a lot of these sex workers, they probably also don't have much trust for law enforcement as well. So when I hear Jules say Mm -hmm. he's out here having conversations with these people, I think that's important because... A lot of times, these sex workers, they have the vibe and they know what the hell's going on in the neighborhood. Yes, they sir. know. They do. They do. Mm-hmm. So if you have that person that th- doesn't look at you as, oh, he just gonna come over here and try to knock my head off and try to lock me up. But if they say, hey, this officer right here, he's straight up, right? Then they may drop some information to you to help you out with something that you could pass on to somebody that can maybe help move some of this stuff along. But I think that comes in with the point of Jules was making earlier where we have to improve these relations. You know what I mean? Because this distrust that we have right now is at an all-time high. And you know, the killer part about it is, is that the bad people is the one who is getting away, and the ones whose families that are suffering from, from what happened is not getting justice. So it's like, mm-hmm. come on now. I can't tell you how many times I actually go to a, a situation or shooting or a stabbing and stuff like trying to get information, and it's like pulling teeth. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on, man. We're just trying to... I, I can speak for myself, man. I'm just trying to help, trying to figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. The fast I get this information, the fast I can get it out to see if we can catch up with this person. Right. But if a lot of people won't, you know, if you just want to handle it on themselves and stuff like that, it's like, well, how are we going to get anywhere like this? 
No, you no, you're totally right. You're totally right. And then so in this case, man, I just don't think that it was 50 separate men that were killing these women. That's the part that I'm looking at here. I don't Mm -hmm. think these were isolated cases. No. So there's something deeper going on here. So I don't know. But I'm really appreciative of the Murder Accountability Project because they were responsible for putting this thing back on the map, man. Definitely. The map and also people, activists and and people's reaching out and talking to the police and politicians who would, uh, you named it, to get this to get this going again. Mm-hmm. But I would just say one thing that I want to leave people with before we, we get out of here is consider how here in the city of Chicago, and Jules and I have talked about this on previous episodes, how the racial boundaries <laughs> were literally drawn by a network of bankers and federal officials and they redlined maps where they denied loans to African-American borrowers. You have to think about how this stuff has even started in, in the beginning of this city, how things even became to be, these conditions, the inequalities and the inequities. This stuff was done intentionally. And so the predominant Black neighborhoods where these bodies were found, as I mentioned before, they spanned two areas, South Side and West Side. These are communities that are predominantly African-American. These are communities that when they were designing these red lines, these were the areas where they considered the undesirable areas, the red areas. Now, the killing stopped in 2014 of these women. So I want people to kind of think of this trend. But then they picked back up three years later. Mm-hmm. So audience, I want you guys to think about that for a second. Why was there that three-year gap in these killings happening? When I thought about that, and when I was looking at some of the stuff with this case, I said, okay, I could probably see that there's multiple killers in this scenario with these women involved, but what if one of the main killers was incarcerated at that time during that three-year period and then maybe was released? We don't know. But there's a lot of unknowns with this situation, but I just want people to, first of all, do your research about these 51 women that have been murdered in Chicago. Talk to other people that you know about this case. Join me in making calls and sending emails to officials to be transparent in the way that they're reporting this stuff. If there's an issue with lab and DNA results being backed up, then we need to hold them accountable to hiring more people where we can get these results analyzed. And just a various amount of other things that needs to happen to ensure that this case is actually moving forward. Because There needs to be justice for the family. Mm -hmm. These women's lives should not be in vain, and they should not have died the way that they died. And it's just horrible that we even had to have a show like this. But I wanted to bring some awareness to this story because I don't think this story is being spoken about enough. So with that being said, on this episode, we want to remember Angela Ford, Charlotte Day, Winifred Shines, Brenda Cowart, Elaine Bonetta, Saudia Banks, Bessie Scott, Gwendolyn Williams, Jody Grisham, Lorraine Harris, Deli Jones, Celeste Jackson, Nancy Walker, Tarika Jones, Linda Green, Rosinda Baricio, Latanya Keeler, Patricia Hall, Lucy Set Thomas, Ethel Emerson, Michelle Davenport, Tamala Edwards, 
Makabala Williams, Precious Smith, Denise Torres, Wanda Hall, Yvette Mason, Shaniqua Williams, Margaret Gomez, Antoinette Simmons, Kelly Sarf, Veronica Frazier, Teresa Bunn, Hazel Marion Lewis, Genevieve Mellis, Charlene Miller, Latoya Banks, Shannon Williams, LaFonda Sue Wilson, Quanda Kreider, Angela Prophet, Pamela Wilson, Velma Howard, Diamond Turner, Catherine Buchanan, Valerie Marie Jackson, Laura Harbin, Nicole Ridge, and Rio Holyfield. May you guys rest in peace. Jules, going to hit him with that curtain call, bruh. All right, this curtain call goes out to the Murder Accountability Project. MAP was established in 2015 by a group of retired detectives, investigative journalists, homicide scholars, and forensic psychiatrists. MAP has assembled a record of most criminal fatalities, including case-level details on many thousands of homicides that local police failed to report to the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Voluntary Uniform Crime Report Program. The group also provided access to an interactive computer algorithm that has identified homicides committed by known serial killers and suspicious clusters of murders that might contain serial killings. President, I am pulling back the Curtain Podcast family. I'd like to thank you and appreciate all your hard work in bringing justice to victims who were brutally murdered. So thank you. Jules, thanks for that curtain call. As always, you can find this podcast on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Deezer, or wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate your continued support of the show. Without you, we wouldn't be. We're the Pulling Back the Curtain podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace.